Well, everyone, welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. Uh, it's been a little bit of time since we've been posting episodes, recording episodes, and um, I ran across, or somehow, on the good old interwebs, uh, Keith and I uh, crossed paths on Instagram, Practical Mysticism, and naturally the name caught my attention, started looking through some of the quotes, we had a lot of things in common, and um, just really engaging, I think, with each other's content for a little bit of time. And then um, Keith had reached out about doing a podcast. And Keith, I got to say, too, like that was uh, a unique thing for me because I'd, I've been on pause with recording episodes mm-hmm. for a while and feeling uh, not sure if I want what I want to do. And uh, it was like you wouldn't know this, but at the right time, uh, you sent me a direct message about, hey, what does it look like to do a podcast? Mm-hmm. And I was like. You know, I felt like that was something that was an opportune thing to enter back into another season of podcasting. So, thank you yeah, <laughs> for cool. the uh, for the push to to get back into this space. And um, friends, I think that you guys are going to really enjoy Keith's story, what he has to say, what he brings. Um, many of us here, Keith, have uh, had experience with Christianity. We've had experience in a church setting. And many of us have found that uh, some of the the things that happen in a more evangelical or non-denominational church setting uh, maybe aren't set up for the type of experience that we're uh, engaging in now, namely meditation, uh, contemplation, um, really giving space for um, the divine to work in and through us and not just be like a you know, we're going to do this, this, and this, and announcements, and don't forget to give, and we'll see you next week, you know? So we, we're experiencing a more slow, slowed-down version of spirituality and a more thoughtful, I think, way of experiencing Christianity. And um, so I think, friends, Keith's going to have a lot to say about some of that and about how you can engage that deeper. And so I'm excited to jump into a little bit of your story and really figure out like what it means for us to have a meaningful contemplative practice um, and what can it be like uh, in our life in a transformative way. Um, you know, to think about Richard Rohr's teachings, I mean, it's about transformation or a paradigm shift. And that's what we continue to use this practice for is a continuation of a greater sense of transformation in our life. So I'm excited to hear how you uh, can help us on the journey of unfoldment man i mean that's what it's all about so keith thank you for joining the spiritual nomad podcast yeah thank you luke glad to be here excited to chat yeah so i noticed um your instagram has been like uh it was like your personal maybe like i scrolled back and it's like you posted a couple things like you know every few months and then all of a sudden you know you're all online and so i'm guessing that's a lot of like the quarantine that we're in right now and uh i don't know tell me about like your just first and foremost because that's how our paths cross like like what made you want to engage the platform of instagram more and how have you seen that actually be a like a fruitful thing for you yeah well that's that's an interesting starting point uh social media is a beast as an introvert even that can be exhausting for me um, yeah. And so, yeah, this this Instagram page just started as a personal page back in 2016. I think a, my sister, I think, forced me to or downloaded it to my phone. Um, and I never did anything with it until I, I really formally started to do more 
contemplative prayer groups and retreats and teaching on meditation and the Enneagram. And so once I sort of took that on as full-time work, I thought this is a great platform to just sort of offer people a contemplative orientation that I don't think most people are getting, contemplative spirituality and social media world. And it's such a weird world of look at me, look at me. I think contemplative spirituality is very much about like look past me or look through me to the Mm. deeper eye of my being or the ground of my being or the divine within. And so how to bring a social media platform that's about entertainment and about like could be self-centered and and reorient it towards something that's like God-centered or trans, you know, oriented towards transcendence, like contemplative spirituality so often is. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that, uh, as you've been sharing quotes and things, like I said, it just really, uh, was evident that we're being influenced in a lot of the same ways. And, Mm -hmm. um, so, and the reason I wanted to start with some of that is because you just posted the other day, like a, your maybe your first, I don't know, like selfie video, just like <laughs> introducing yourself and saying who you are, and um, just a really quick thing about you were at an Episcopal church, and uh, so I would love to, as people listen to this, and the people that are going to probably tune into this podcast are going to hear about it via Instagram, and so they're probably already familiar with your Instagram, so I wanted to bring mm. a little light to that, uh, that they know that handle, who you are, and then really just give an opportunity as we get into this, like to share more of who is Keith Mm. uh, (laughs) from the page Practical Mysticism and how did he get to, you know, making an introduction video sitting in an Episcopal church, (laughs) outside (laughs) of an Episcopal church, you know, Mm -hmm. like talking about centering prayer, you know? So when did, how far back does this contemplative practice stuff go for you? Yeah, well, it goes back to, uh, back, 10 years or so when when I was in college I sort of fell into meditation Um, I went to evangelical college and it was a very good experience I met my partner there who I'm married to now for the last seven years and so um, yeah really grateful to go to the college I went to but very evangelical but always had a very healthy relationship to both the church and and to the evangelical world it wasn't super negative but it was also incredibly uh, confining in a lot of ways um, but being, yeah, being in a setting like that and really beginning to take my faith more seriously back in my, you know, early twenties, um, I kind of accidentally found myself in meditation and at the time I didn't know what the heck was going on. I would listen. I don't know if you know the band Me Without You. They're a favorite sort of mystical band. They're influenced by Sufism and Christianity and Buddhism and they, they swirl all these, uh, all these religions together and offer this beautiful inner faith. Uh, musical, <laughs> all sorts of beautiful music. And so, yeah, listening to them and then moving from these words that were very prayerful and then sinking into the silence after the sound, after the songs were over, after the albums were over, and just found myself in this sort of meditative state. And at that time, I didn't have a clue what was going on and um, went to the, the school library, got out some books on Buddhism because meditation equaled Buddhism. And um, I didn't have a frame of reference for what meditation could look like outside of a Buddhist landscape. Um, and so since then, I've sort of picked up on to jump on to the centering prayer. What's interesting about some of that is that you had an experience or you were beginning to experience that. And so I'm curious, after the college, after the evangelical college, um, what 
were the plans? Like, what were you, what were you seeking to do after that? Like, did this change the potential trajectory of what you initially wanted to do? Yeah, it sure did it, but always like under the surface of things. I went into college thinking I wanted to be a park ranger, living in the woods and, and working at a national park and ended up in the city of Buffalo where I live now, um, working at a, at a community organizing political activism uh, nonprofit where I manage this community center and, and working with youth and refugees from all over the world, from Kenya and Somalia and Burma and Thailand and in a very activist culture. Um, and so I was living in this world of uh, activism, showing up for protests, risking arrests, this whole world of uh, rah, 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 and at the same time holding this very personal contemplative prayer practice and centering prayer in particular, um, and trying to figure out how to make these two worlds uh, work. Because <laughs> one is yeah. like driven by ego and anger, and the other is driven by selflessness and surrender. And so a little bit of a struggle for a few years in how to bring these two worlds together. But I, and I would have lead contemplative prayer groups on the side, but it was very separate from the work I was doing. And so eventually it was time to just leave behind that work of activism, at least as a, in that paid world, um, as a professional and just go full time into offering spiritual support and spiritual nutrition for people, whether it was groups or um, retreats or working one-on-one with folks. So. And so and maybe it, it just clipped for a second. So what was your, how did, when you started to do that, when you started to actually offer that sort of uh, space for people, like was that with an organization? Was that independent? Like what, what did that look like for actually vocationally, if you will, doing that? Yeah, it was very much a personal thing. I had been doing this practice of centering prayer for maybe two or three years and was seeing the fruits of it in my life. And I was, I just wanted to share it as if to, as if it was a gift to be shared. So I invited, I just invited six friends that I knew trusted me. I invited them to a six week group and I knocked on the door of a Catholic church and asked if I could use their space. And they were like, sure. And to this day, at seven years later, we've had that same group going for, yeah, seven years. Now we're meeting on Zoom during quarantine. Mm. Um, but yeah, it would just began with friends and it, over the years, people have come, people have gone, um, probably taught over a hundred people in that space, the practice of centering prayer. Um, How many people normally meet in person? Usually between 15 and 20, um, okay. which is a, a good sized group. That's like a, people say that's like a mega church for contemplative prayer. Uh, too many people, <laughs> you're like, it's like too much now. It's like it's supposed to be intimate, you know? So, yeah. That's awesome, man. I mean, so I just think that's so cool that you you did that and so your friends that trusted you did you have to explain what centering prayer was to them were they already somewhat familiar with the practice or like what did that look like at the origins of starting this this community yeah the beginning there's probably one out of the six people knew what it was um and the rest were just trusted friends that were just like already on this wavelength in a sense or like wanting to take or probably were doing a lot of deconstruction or unlearning themselves Mm -hmm. Um, and so they were sort of already in this place of like learning to let go. And so, yeah, it was very much an introductory. Let me, we'll come together. I'll teach a little bit. And I'm sure I screwed up a lot of things at the beginning, but the, the group (laughs) continues. Um, I remember merging, like not having a really clear definition of like 
the you might be familiar with Christian meditation as a formal meditation mm-hmm. practice by John Main and Lawrence Freeman. And I was sort of merging those worlds of, of that practice with the centering prayer. And they're actually fundamentally different teaching, one not better than the other, um, but sort of centering prayer ended up being my primary practice. And, mm. um, yeah. So can you break that down a little bit? Like what, what are those fundamental differences? Like, cause I know people hear the word centering prayer a lot mm-hmm. and then you do hear of like Christian meditation. And I think contemplative practice, centering prayer, Christian meditation, people see those as just like just different words of saying a fundamentally same thing. Can you break that down a little bit for us? Sure. Yeah. The problem is, is that they are all the same and they're all uniquely different. So they all would fall under the umbrella of contemplative prayer and they would all fall under the umbrella of meditation. Um, but centering prayer is a specific like subset of contemplative prayer and Christian Mm -hmm. meditation is a subset of contemplative prayer as well. Um, but Christian meditation is a formal meditation practice that makes use of a mantra in the, in the word Maranatha, which means come Lord. Mm. And centering prayer uses what's called a sacred word and isn't typically used as a, um, isn't used as a mantra, which means you don't repeat it over and over again. And centering prayer is a little bit more of an open awareness, a more open uh, receptiveness in a surrendering practice. Um, and is less concentrative. So centering prayer is Christian meditation, but it's not the formal Christian meditation practice as known as like from the institution. <laughs> got it. Got it. But I'll, I'll say... So you were hybriding some of it though. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I was hybrid, yeah, in a way that probably wasn't working. <laughs> um, because, <laughs> because ultimately, yeah, it, you know, centering prayer is a practice about opening the heart and being completely open and receptive. And you can imagine like a clear, open sky. And when you're practicing centering prayer, we're only using our sacred word when the mind becomes cluttered with thought or if the emotions bubble up within our hearts or we have body sensations. Then we return to our word as a way of returning to the divine within us. And Mm. Um, so it's about this opening where if you can imagine a mantra meditation, it's over and over again. You're just saying your word over and over again. It's very, it's a concentration practice, which yeah. leads to a narrowness of mind rather than an openness. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, you're inviting expansive awareness to happen mm-hmm. through centering prayer, essentially is what you're saying. Yeah. You're. Yeah, yeah, I would say that, and I don't speak for Christian meditation people, so if I'm saying it all wrong, they'll have to forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I mean, you know, like you said, I mean, at the end of the day, like, we're all wanting to just deepen this experience uh, with the divine. I mean, that's, and these are different vehicles that we get there, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's just, uh, it works for different people. Mm-hmm. Different people experience it in different ways and are more receptive to different things. and. Yeah. I think it's really, I mean, just any sort of practice or even what any sort of teacher would seek to do is whatever is going to help mm-hmm. the disciple or the student or the learner or the practitioner or whatever, whatever is going to help them enter into greater states of what they're uh, maybe already experiencing. Like that's, that's the point of the whole thing. And mm-hmm. so for some people, centering prayer may work for others and for other people, like you mentioned people who are unlearning or going through deconstruction. I know for me, like none of the Christian language worked for me 
for a long time Mm -hmm. just because I could not separate my, uh, and not that I had like a bad experience like you. I mean, like, I, I don't think that I had a really traumatic experience in any way. I mean, I just, I knew that, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad's a church planter since I was, I was born into that. Um, and just have been a pastor's kid my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so, and then going into ministry myself and becoming a pastor and preaching on the weekends and, you know, having youth group and, you know, doing all yeah. the stuff, like I just needed a detox from some of that. And that's how I got introduced to really a, a meditation practice. You know, I moved to San Diego from Indianapolis to plant a church and that didn't, uh, it began to take root. And then I, I cut it off pretty quickly because I have sensed that it was not the right time. I didn't feel like I was the right person to steward mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and so after like months of depression and anybody that's listening, it's listened to this podcast for any number of time, like they'll know that like I, I went through this really deep depression and the only thing that really brought me out of that was a meditation practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a deep sitting uh, with presence and the experience of the spirit of God is what changed my life Mm -hmm. again. You know, Mm -hmm. like I look back at all my pivotal moments and it's always encounter with presence Mm -hmm. that leads to a sense of power, Mm -hmm. right? Not like, you know, necessarily like a magician power or anything, but just like a deep knowingness and confidence in the power. That's where the life is. Mm -hmm. And so meditation was that vehicle for me in a very simple way Mm -hmm. like a mindfulness Mm -hmm. and it seems like and correct me if i'm wrong centering prayer could be most like some of the mindfulness practices of the east is that well i don't know mantra is incorporated with that too so it's kind of hard to say Mm -hmm. so uh, but i mean in specific mindfulness i mean is that kind of the if somebody doesn't have a christian background or perspective mm-hmm. how do they engage and begin to engage centering prayer you know? yeah 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 so you're talking to a meditation nerd so i like to draw really <laughs> I, I like draw lines in, in the sand but so in a lot of ways in a very general sense yes you know centering prayer of course is, is a mindfulness practice because we're being mindful of our sacred word as we practice, or you may be mindful of your breath or mindful of the presence of the presence of presence. And, um, and yet it's a little bit, um, the opposite of mindfulness where if we think of mindfulness more narrowly as, as contemplative practice, we're being mindful of something. We may be mindful of our breath. We may be mindful of the sounds we're listening to. We may be mindful of body sensations. And a true uh, centering prayer practice, we're not being mindful of anything. Um, there's, there's, mm. um, how's the best way to communicate this? Um, you're looking at a screen right now, and I don't know what you're looking at, those that are listening, but if you could begin to look at just pointing your attention at just one narrow thing, it could be the tip of a pencil, it could be the camera on your computer, um, and just taking notice of the space that's in between you and that object that's a little bit more like centering prayer where mindfulness mm. I could pay attention to the screen itself and it, I'd be paying I'd be being mindful of this very specific thing where centering prayer is a little bit more on the self-emptying side of things so we're not being mm. attentive to anything in particular we're looking at the empty space that's between all the things we could look at 
And of course, as I look at the empty space between me and the screen, I'm inherently looking at the screen. Mm-hmm. It's just what was in the background has moved to the foreground. What was in the foreground has moved to the background of attention. Yeah. God yeah. is always in the background of experience. Presence mm-hmm. is always in the background. Awareness is always aware. We're always aware. And yet, um, we're just not awake to that. So we're just switching what's in the foreground and the background. Mm. I love that. I love And even something that just spun off of that was thinking about the space in between is also affirming the detachment of anything mm. that is in our life, you know, like that there is always space in between mm-hmm. all of the things, even internally, yeah. you know, releasing from the desire, releasing from the need mm-hmm. uh, for anything other than what is right here mm-hmm. in the naked now, if mm-hmm. you will, you know, and that is, uh, as you're talking, just thinking about like this whole quarantine time for me has just been a time of detaching from any sort of preferred reality because mm-hmm. the reality is we all have that preference right now mm-hmm. of what should be or could be or but releasing that enables us to enter into the presence mm-hmm. uh, that's at hand you know yeah, yeah. I, I love that I love that yeah it's a total I love what's in the background is brought yeah it's good it's a total letting go of our own you know our own ego structure everything that I want like my whole self-centeredness I want this I think that I have these emotions you know, and I got in contemplative practice. It's just about letting all that go, all that yeah. shit. Just let it go, let it fly yeah. away. And and we want to cling, we want to attach ourselves to the emotions. I for me, it's like spiritual ideas, spiritual thoughts emerge because finally the mind's sort of getting a little bit quiet or a little bit more still, and the conscious mind is slowing down. And then the unconscious opens, and all of a sudden these rosy spiritual insights come up. And mm-hmm. all I want to do is just grab onto it and chew on it, enjoy it. And yet, mm-hmm. that's the opposite. of That's my own ego desire. My ego right. loves spiritual insight. And I want yeah. to grab onto it and chew it and write about it. And those are good things to do. But at the same time, in the moment of being aware of presence, any thought about God, any thought about spirituality is always less than the direct and immediate experience the naked now as you just said if to think about god is not to experience god as directly as just to surrender to just let go and be open yeah yeah i love that and we aren't conditioned for that in any way and i think in the west it's it is so difficult to do because our paradigm and our framework just is not that like Mm -hmm. we and i was thinking about that the other day like we don't do spirituality to get something from it you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We we engage in spirituality to become more like this essence, to mm-hmm. become more like this divine being, to have engagement, experience, mm-hmm. and encounter with it, and that's that's the purpose. You know, yeah. I was listening to a, I listened to a lot of Alan Watts and mm-hmm. people like that, and and it's like you know, we've he was talking about in the 60s about what they've done with college you know that now it's the purpose is to get the degree and get mm-hmm. the honors and to just keep outdoing you know your mm-hmm. colleagues and you know it's like now it's not the point the point of taking a french class is so that you can speak french uh-huh. and read french it's not so that you can like have the the degree and the the qualification of speaking french mm-hmm. you know and i feel like we in the west have a temptation with any spiritual practice to be like 
oh, I'm into Tantra and da, 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 you know, so you mm-hmm. can like take pictures on Instagram and hashtag it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and get followers for it or what it's mm-hmm. like, no, like the the point of any spiritual practice is to engage spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I, I have that temptation and we all do. And I think it's for people to be in those deep presence practice when those thoughts come up in the amazing empowerment that comes from the releasing of that mm-hmm. and maybe you can I don't know if you want to speak to any of that too but just like I know that I am so in tune with the infinite that I don't need to hold this and put it in my pocket that whenever mm-hmm. it's necessary for this to come to life again it will come to be mm-hmm. then at that proper yeah. naked moment of time and it's a it's a confidence in yourself mm-hmm. and your connectivity that I don't have to like grab this and jot it down because like if I just keep doing this now I'm familiar with it and on a podcast or on a Sunday teaching or what this is going to already it, it mm-hmm. it's a toolbox that I don't have to make you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, it's something that's already there and yeah. can emerge yeah. you know yeah um, yeah, it's very much, you know, this whole contemplative stream of thought that, that we're talking about is, is a spirituality of subtraction mm. rather than the spirituality of addition or adding. And I think that's what we're conditioned as society and as a, or in the church culture. It's like, give, give them better music, give them a better sermon, give, you know, give them more. Like we're searching for spiritual experience. And, yeah. and yet at the same time, the infinite is present and immediately available within us. So there's mm-hmm. nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. There's no We're not even on a spiritual journey anymore. We're just right. waking up to whatever is already right before us, like, like you're speaking about. And so I think this, this, we've been conditioned to like reach and grab for more spiritual nutrition, thinking it's somehow outside of ourselves. But the whole right. orientation and contemplative spirituality is taking this contemplative turn turning around and remembering that actually everything we're looking for is immediately and directly available within the, with our own human heart is the Orthodox yes. church would, would speak to that beautifully. And so God, yeah. we don't go looking for God outside of ourselves. We don't go to church or mosque or to the temple to look for God because God is already here. We may find God at the mosque, but that doesn't yeah. mean God wasn't already on in our hearts on the journey to the mosque. And exactly. So, yeah. It's, and it's a different orientation because we're told, you know, people have this resistance. But if we want to use, like, the biblical language I grew up with, like, is a temple's a body of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Right there. <laughs> right in the yes. middle of my body is the spirit of the living God. And so it's there. Um, but we just have to wake up to this fact and, and realize we already have it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've just been reading through John again and just seeing how Jesus is constantly speaking of his oneness with the Father. And then finally, in John 17, he's like, I'm going to speak to you plainly, you know? And he says, eternal life is to be in me, in the Father, in this, there's no beginning, no end, before the foundation of the world, before eternal life is something that is just separate than Mm -hmm. this sort of trajectory of timeline of history. And so we have the opportunity to live into that now. And centering prayer, contemplative practice is just entering into the very Mm -hmm. life of, Mm -hmm. you know, what Jesus taught or, you know, I mean, I'm a 
Christian, right? So that's going to be my language and that's going to be my teacher, you mm-hmm. know? But like, I, I think that we have this amazing ability through the contemplative practice to enter into the same state of consciousness of, yeah. of Jesus, of yeah. Christ, you know? Yeah. Yeah, one of the the kind of languaging I've been playing with a little bit is of this idea of contemplation is is going back to the original religious experience mm-hmm. in that this is like the experience of contemplation to truly be in a prayerful contemplative state um, whether it's on the cushion or maybe looking at a sunrise I don't know which it is for you or <laughs> could be anything but to truly be in contemplation is to go to that experience prior to the even the naming of God even to the yeah. labeling of God before we call God God is what contemplation is and so yeah. it's not until after we come out of the experience that we apply the mind we apply the labels so this is where in contemplative prayer and centering prayer I, you know i tell people you don't need to be a christian to practice centering prayer just like you don't need to be a buddhist yeah. to practice to practice mindfulness you don't have to be hindu to practice yoga you don't actually have to be a christian right. to practice centering prayer yes that's the tradition but it's actually returning to a right. prior and more immediate experience before the mind come on, comes online to label it. Um, and so, yeah, we yeah. come out of the experience yeah. and we're like, we just, I just had an experience with the universal Christ. And so that's the language that we use. But it, yeah. it's something more fundamental all, than even the language and the categories. Yes, yes. And it's something that is... That, we're all just trying to use language to describe the experience. That's all religions are, is they've had some deep transcendent experience and they're doing the best they can with what they have to articulate the thing that has happened within them and or their community. And I think when you recognize that, you can do that even in your own life. You can see that the practices that you have had, like it's, it's not really about the practice, you know? Um, it's it's not about the practice it's about the experience and i think that we are entering into something that um at a day and age where i feel like the origins of this for the modern age happened in the 60s mm-hmm. and we became we like i was there i was born in 89 what am i talking about but for those uh who were were in the 60s they they began to see this unifying thing that was god that was bringing true essence and love into the world and i don't know maybe it was like too much too quick or whatever it was but i think like our generation is going to begin to bring some of that back out again and bring people into a place of of exploration and Mm -hmm. curiosity into experience Mm -hmm. not into Maybe learning is, is going to happen through the process, but only out of a deep sense of experience and a deep sense of awareness. And I think after this quarantine, I think we're going to see a, a revolution in actual communities come to life mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. and and not because they wanted to, like, understand, like, the uh, the the best person that can exp- expository preach on Ephesians 2. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like. They want to enter into a community of deep, collective mm-hmm. connection. And that is, I think, like the, the, the frontier that we're on is a deep experience. And the purpose of, of anything in our own life or collectively is, is that we experience the presence and power of this living God that sees no distinction mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I think what you're doing is a key piece of that. You know what I mean? Like we're all working towards helping people experience deeper awareness of the divine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did, did you grab a book or I'm curious? Well, I grabbed a, a very favorite quote of mine that came up from something you had mentioned before, but um, let's do it. Let's do you it. Wanna, you want to hear it? All right. So this is yeah, yeah. Rabbi Rami Shapiro. Um, he's a fellow, uh, he's a contemplative rabbi. And speaking of religions, to me, religions are like languages. No language is true or false. All languages are of human origin. Each language reflects and shapes the civilization that speaks it. And there are things you can say in one language that you cannot say or say as well in another. And the more languages you speak, the more nuanced your understanding of life becomes. Judaism is my mother tongue, yet in matters of the spirit I strive to be multilingual. In the end, however, the deepest language of the soul is silence. Hmm. So good. <laughs> and that's the... <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like... I'm transcending right now. I feel like like listening to that, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Because, man, to think about all of the things that we have passed over because it didn't have the right language to it first. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it, yeah, yeah. Incredibly yeah, limiting. Was... <laughs> and yeah, that's why... Yeah. That's why the, the contemplative orientation is always to the, the wordless, the silent path of recognizing that all our language falls short. It's all just interpretation. It's all just an attempt to reach for that, that, that to put language to the ineffable, to, put, to try mm-hmm. to squeeze the ocean into a cup, to take what's yeah. infinite and try to define it in a finite way. And, yeah. and so the soul just needs to shut up a little bit, be quiet yeah. and rest in something larger than itself. Yeah, and I think that's really when you look at like the Christian language of the spirit and the flesh, that when we're trying to translate spirit into this plane of reality, that is, there's always missing pieces in translation, Mm -hmm. you know? There's always going to be something that is like it, but maybe isn't fully it, you Mm -hmm. know? And for me, like, I do, being an Enneagram 7, there is the headspace, you know? And so, like, to me... I have, if I hear language or if I hear an idea, immediately that can project me into a higher state mm-hmm. of understanding and of being and of knowing. And so that's one thing that I really appreciate. I, I always tell people, like, I'm not trying to discredit the language that we try to give to things by any means. Mm-hmm. Like, those are usually, like, the, the launch pads that get me into different places like if I just hear Alan Watts voice like I'm immediately like oh like I am in I'm functioning on a different level now you know what I mean (laughs) it's like so it can be a great thing to have and I don't Mm -hmm. think it should be discouraged but I think exactly what you're saying what the quote is saying is that there is a native tongue with that but that is on a Mm -hmm. particular plane of flesh of Mm -hmm. world of of you know whatever sort of language Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) pun intended right you want to put with it and then you begin to enter into a state that there is just yeah there's no 
no reality for that supernatural state mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens there. Um, so for you, I'm curious, like the the work that you're doing and the the purpose that you have, like, I'm how does this look like, you know, in your own daily life? Like, what does this mean for for Keith? Like, what is this? What do practices really look like? Like, how does the actual working out of this uh, take place in the life that is you? Yeah, yeah. Well, good question. That's I, I'm pretty uh, routine. You know, I'm, uh, I, I'm I got the nine wing one and my one wing is rather strong. And so I'm good with routine and creating some order to my life. Um, and so my, jealous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a nugget aside to that for sure. So, um, but yeah, yeah, my, really it's my, my morning routine is so important to me. And so when I work with people one-on-one, um, it's really about encouraging people to find a pattern that they can just fall into right away that I wake up every day and I do the same thing for the first hour, at least the first hour of my day. You know, I Mm -hmm. keep it completely screen free. I make my coffee. I have my journal. I read my book. I do a good amount of writing, good amount of reading. And then I have my prayer. I do my centering prayer. Um, and I do, I work a lot with chanting as well. So usually a few minutes of chanting before moving into the silence, I find that is a very more of a way of bringing embodiment to to sort of feel that physical sensation in the heart um, mm-hmm. and kind of get out of the mind and put the mind into the heart. That's a that's a good way for me. And so, yeah, doing my 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 twenty minutes sit every day is is definitely the most like practical thing I can do because centering prayer is very much a formal meditation practice. It's also the most spiritual thing I can do in the day. Um, mm. Those two things are you know psychological and spirituality. You know. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, I think for a lot of people, just even that sets the tone for your day too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I know some people say like, "Well, I'm not a morning person," or "I'm not." It's like you know, well, find your time. But I mean, mm-hmm. I would definitely encourage people because I same way. Like, I have my my first hour of the day, and it's no phone, it's no mm-hmm. anything. It is coffee though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is coffee, uh, but I mean, it, it is really a a sacred space. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a reason why. Virtually every spiritual teacher has done this sort of practice in mm-hmm. the morning. I mean, Jesus woke up early and went away to a desolate place to pray, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And he consistently talks about, like, you know, woe to you Pharisees who pray on the street corners with loud prayers. And he yeah. says, go to your home, to yeah. your prayer closet, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird because a lot of people wouldn't have even had that luxury in this mm-hmm. day and age. So I would even say that even that could be mystical, that the prayer closet is that of the heart. Mm-hmm. It's something that is deep within mm-hmm. um, that regardless if you have the physical place in your home to do it, you always have yourself mm-hmm. to go mm-hmm. into. Yeah. And it's like, man, like to start your day in the deepest room of who you are just changes your, your mm-hmm. outlook. Um, and, you know, so I'm curious, like, with you moving into this and you like making this your vocation like what does it look like from transitioning then from being in your own practice into work mode and then mm-hmm. you know because then now you're being the the teacher in a sense you mm-hmm. know and mm-hmm. so like what is what is some of your like uh your work look like with people in this yeah yeah well the primary thing is to keep up my own primary practice because especially during this quarantine season, I'm offering a lot of online, uh, you know, for pay or for free 
contemplative prayer, sometimes just guided meditation groups. And so I need to remain faithful to my own personal practice and not substitute that for the group practice because as a teacher of a meditation group or whatever it is, um, you, don't, you don't necessarily get the same amount of nutrition as those mm. that participate. It's just participants do. So, um, but yeah, I do, you know, in everyday life before COVID, I guess, you know, offering, you know, you know weekend retreats at retreat centers, offering one-time workshops, working with people one-on-one is to go, spiritual life coaching, essentially like spiritual direction um, and encourage, you know, encouraging people on the contemplative path and helping people along and deepen and understand their, their practice. But now it's a lot of online Zoom meetings. Um, yeah. Leading a lot of, you know, these are weekly groups. Last Saturday, I ran a, a centering prayer, um, kind of 101 of centering prayer. I had 45 people come to that, and that was a really beautiful experience. So I'm going to keep doing these weekend offerings as long as people are at home. It's time to take that contemplative turn. You know, we can't go outside, but let's go inside. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. So. I think it's great that you're you're doing that and mm-hmm. taking opportunity to do that you know and cause the reality is like I, I have to be careful how I say this because I know that COVID is such a hot button but um, if everybody can just take a grain of salt really quick I'm I'm actually really grateful for this time in history um, my wife and I were just talking this morning every morning we have our own prayer and reading and then we kind of have a debrief with each other and talk at, and um, we were talking about how 2020 was off to such a great start, you know, and mm-hmm. there were so many things that were happening and, you know, I, I do a lot of other things too. And it's like, you know, my other businesses and stuff, like things were taken off and then all of a sudden, like not even a few months into the year, uh, everything stopped. And I was talking as if everything was going so great until, and I mm-hmm. felt like in the spirit, I was just stopped and I was like, no this was actually the gift for the greatest year Mm. that all of the things that you were doing all of the productivity Mm -hmm. that you were having that you thought were defining your great year actually weren't Mm -hmm. amounting to anything that the quietness the stillness the release from all of the production and Mm -hmm. you know uh insurance stuff that i do and the release from all of that this is actually the greatest opportunity of a lifetime is you are released from a lot of responsibilities and have the opportunity to enter into a contemplative space. I know not everybody has that quote opportunity and mm-hmm. some people wouldn't even look at it as an opportunity, but I guess what I'm trying to say is friends, you need to look at this uh, as a way to engage what is really happening beneath all of the doing of our life. Mm-hmm. And Keith, I think you're offering really great opportunities for people to introduce themselves to that. And so uh, for those of us listening, I think it would be really great if you would uh, get connected with Keith, join his uh, groups and see how this can transform and change uh, your unfoldment. Because if we don't take advantage of this time, the only thing we're going to do is sit around and loathe it. Mm-hmm. and try to be you know uh, the same person after it's all over and the 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 whole point of this life is to not try to be the same person yeah. that you know yeah. we were it's to transcend that mm-hmm. um so how would people uh if they wanted to choose this opportunity and work with you in a way to engage their 
contemplative practice in a deeper way, uh, what would be like some of the best first steps for people to get to know you and get involved with what you're doing? Yeah, well, there's well, my website's just my name, so keithkristich.com, and that's probably the most immediate place. And there you'll find um, the contemplative prayer group, some of the Enneagram integration groups, which is really the bringing together, you know, the wisdom of the Enneagram, any all the insights and amazing work of awareness that we can do with the Enneagram. Um, and combine that with contemplative practice. So you'd find that there, but even more exciting, I'm, I'm right in the middle of launching a Closer Than Breath at a six-week online course. It's going to be a centering prayer um, a centering prayer course that will help people get up and running out of practice to practice every day. Um, and I'm super excited about this. Um, and it's based on a, a resource. You go to closerthanbreath.com and there's a four-page download there. Um, that just sort of maps out contemplative spirituality in a very large way, bringing it all the way down to practice. And so just trying to create spaces in this this course is a way for, especially ex-evangelicals, or I think of like recovering Catholics or the Richard Rohr fans out there, that this is mm-hmm. this is a course that would make a lot of sense for that sort of that mindset. So people that are looking to deepen their When's practice. it starting? So I'm looking at a June, early June start for that. So... Awesome. Yeah. And then do you have, um, I don't know if you want to chat about it or if it's you figured that out yet, but do you have like a, a roundabout pricing for people that they can be thinking about? Or um, is it something that's, you know, what does that look like it's, for, for folks? Yeah, it's, it's, it's up in the air right now. I recognize that people are short on cash, and so I don't want to turn anybody away from this. So, yeah, still working out the, the pricing uh, module. I'm thinking around $50 at this point. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely reasonable. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think what things can do in your life are worth all mm-hmm. of that. I yeah. mean, yeah. and I think that what better time, cause I mean, the reality is we are going to be probably still in this place come mm-hmm. June, sadly. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, I'm, I'm normally naively optimistic, uh, and I am still, but, uh, you know, from what I'm hearing that that might be still a thing that's going on. So, this is a great way, friends, for you guys to spend your uh, to quarantine and um, to begin to engage. And to me, like the reality is, like we need spiritual teachers, we need guides, we need people who are committed to this. Because you know, like I was, I started playing drums at a young age, and I played drums for years, and then still, like uh, from age three until in sixth grade, I, mm-hmm. I my parents wanted to put me in drum lessons, and it's like. Yeah, well, I, I kind of already have the talent or whatever, but what I got from drum lessons was something far more than what I could have just done on my own because I'm trusting someone and I'm paying someone who has committed their life to this. And more so than anything, especially if I'm new or if I'm young in a practice, doesn't matter if you're what, eight your mm-hmm. ages, but you you need someone who can keep you accountable to a consistent rhythm and to bring you in to do that. And so friends, a lot of times, even if you've been doing this for a long time or a short time, you need someone like a Keith or just name your, your person that you might have a relationship with already, you know, like to have that sort of continual practice and to, to have a a place that, you know, every, I don't know what your time's going to be, you know, uh, Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to do this. And this is going to be the thing for me in this time, you know. So just a little bump for you there because I think that people need to 
to take advantage of, of that, you know, mm-hmm. and to go and see teachers. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you. So I, I want to, there were some other things that I want to chat about that maybe we didn't get to, and maybe because I'm just getting my feet back wet with all of the podcasting and such, but I think it was really awesome to have you on really great conversation. I think everything we covered is just really good and rich. Uh, I'd like to maybe do another one of these and cover some other stuff too that I think maybe we could cover. Um, and you know, hopefully we can do that sooner than later. I don't know if, uh, yeah, if you're interested sounds, in that. That sounds great. There's more than enough to continue to chat about. So yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, It's been great to talk with you, man. Yeah. Love to have you on again. And, uh, my computer's dying. I'm a noob and didn't plug my computer in. So, uh, we're going to wrap this episode up friends. Thank you for joining us here. This has been Keith. His handle um, is going to be, What are you changing your Instagram handle? I'll be changing my Instagram handle just to Keith underscore Christich. All right. Well, friends, you can find that in the uh, description of the show below. Um, and then if you're watching this on Instagram, just click his handle. that will be tagged there. Give him a follow. And uh, it's going to be good because you got to fill your feed. If you're going to do the social media thing, you got to fill it with things that are actually going to increase your level of awareness, not, uh, you know, cynical memes. So, uh, friends, thank you for joining the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. Keith, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you, man. Thank you. Be well all.